Good morning, Journey Church. Wow, it's great to see everybody, and I think this service actually is going live because we had some problems first hour. So if you're here today with us, um, either in person or virtually, it's great to see everybody and to have uh, this time together. Uh, we're in a series now that we're growing closer to the end of called From This Day Forward, and it is a series uh, about marriage and about maybe preparing to get married at some point. So I told everybody on the, the day one that if you're not married, it's okay because we're going to talk about some principles that work in every relationship. Uh, if you're not yet married and you think you might get married at some point, uh, these are some things to keep in mind. You might jot down. They're going to help you no matter what. And if you are married, then I know they're going to be encouraging to you, all right? And uh, so uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about never, ever giving up and talking about how different we can be, and sometimes it's tempting to do so, to give up. Let me ask you this. How many of you here would say that you are married to someone who is a little bit different than you are? All right. Hey, heck with that question. How many of you are here today and you are married to somebody that's a lot different than you are? Yeah, that would be probably a little more normal. You know, they say that opposites attract, but sometimes it seems like in marriage that opposites attack, kind of changes, you know, as you get married. And what I've discovered is, is that whenever uh, something is cute and appealing, whenever you're dating, after you get married, that might be the very thing that drives you nuts about that person. It attracted you to them, but now it kind of gets on your nerves a little bit, driving a little bit crazy. For example, how many of you like to be on time but your spouse doesn't care at all. Yeah, that drives you nuts, right? How many of you love to plan long-term with your spouse? They're just off the cub. They don't ever think about planning. Yeah, so what do you got your hand up down there for? <laughs> that bugs me, I'm telling you. How many of you are savers, but your spouse is a big spender? Some of you are like that. You know, a lot of times whenever I, um, uh, I look at uh, couples and I'm talking about married, I most always will say, one's going to be a saver, one's a spender, and they always poke each other, because you know, it's always true. You know, there, it's just something about that that attracts us. Um, but the differences in our life are what make us interesting, but we're going to talk about commitment today. And you know, uh, I, I'm in this series, and so uh, my wife, Lori, works over at our, uh, our um, thrift store. She calls it a boutique, which I think is a lot what it is. But there's a great bunch of women that work over there. And they're always talking about stuff, about messages and what's going on. So she found this plaque for me and gave it to me. And she said, you got to use this. I said, this is perfect for this Sunday. Here's what it says. It says, marriage gives you the right to annoy one special person for the rest of your life. Is that true or not? There's a lot of reality in that. So uh, I'm not going to hang that up, but I thought it did a, a plot for today, all right? So opposite the track, and that's good. The reality is that we're very different because life would be pretty boring if we were all alike. And I always heard it said that if you were identical to another person, that one of you would not be necessary. So a lot of you are saying, man, we, my husband or wife, we're very necessary for each other because we are very different. Now, the problem is that sometimes those differences actually become the things that create conflict and they lead to mistrust and frustration and lies and unforgiveness and bitterness. And then, unfortunately, one day people wake up and they look over at the person next to them, the person they don't know anymore and the person they don't care for anymore, and you realize you're living two different lives, and, and in many cases it ends up in divorce court. Now, God doesn't want that to happen, and it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to. That's why I wanted to do this series for a few weeks here, and I wanted to talk about this, and I want to encourage you to make five commitments in our marriage. And we kind of been studying those through the weeks. We said, first of all, we need to seek God with our spouse. 
seek God first before we find our spouse. Then if we're married, seek God with our spouse. We need to fight fair, not to win, but to find resolution and for the, to be a win for the other person too. Thirdly, to have fun. Never lose that element of joy in our marriage. Fourthly, stay pure. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to challenge ourselves to never give up, to never, ever give up. Now, let me make a, a couple of clarifications here. And uh, I always want to do this because I understand that there are some circumstances where marriages are not going to survive. And let me just give you a couple of them. When I say never give up, I'm not talking about people whose spouses are chronically unfaithful. And we talked a little bit about this last week, and we said that unfaithfulness is a biblical reason for divorce, even though it does not have to be. If the person is repentant, the other person can forgive and they can restore. It does not have to be the death of a marriage. But if someone is chronically unfaithful, it's over and over again, they're forgiven, they seem to be repentant, they're forgiven, over and over again. At some point, obviously, that is just contrary to God's plan for a marriage, and so the marriage is probably not going to survive that chronic. Secondly, I would also say if you're in a marriage where there is abuse or serious addiction of some sort, which oftentimes leads into abuse, I would say that you need to make sure that you get some legal help and to separate if necessary to try to protect yourself and your family, force some change. Nobody wants you to live in a situation and be persistent if you are being abused on a habitual basis. And also, if you have been through a divorce and you have suffered through that, I am not going to pile guilt on you. That is not my goal whatsoever. The chances are, if you've gone through that, you probably have already felt guilty yourself regardless of the circumstances. Maybe if you could do it all over again, you would definitely do it differently. Uh, but the reality is we could all find things in our past that we would do differently, right? So I'm not going not to talk about that. Certainly don't want to pile guilt. A lot of people admit if they would known what divorce would have been, they probably would have uh, tried harder or they would have, uh, you know, put, put some extra effort into that. And some couples even realize that they made a mistake when they divorce and they get married and they reconcile, which is what the Bible says is the best to do. But the reality is we can't change the past. We should not repeat our past mistakes, but we do want to live from this day forward. So that's where we tried to make the whole message going in that way. So when I say never give up, I'm going to say there are some cases where people, unfortunately, do have to give up or make some major changes. But our goal today is try to make this commitment in our marriages to never, ever give up. And, you know, Jesus talked about that. He talked about the value of persistence. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus said, or the Bible says, some Pharisees came to him and said, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, that seems like an odd question for us today, but our, our world might ask the similar question. Is divorce okay in, in any situation? If you just want a divorce, can you do that? But kind of understand the context of that day. In that day, women were considered to be property very different from our world today and what, and what is right. A man could basically divorce his wife for any and all reasons. If she didn't clean the house like he liked or didn't cook like he wanted or whatever reason, he could divorce her. And many times in, back in the Old Testament days, they didn't even divorce them. They just kind of kicked them out of the, out of the house. And a, a woman who was kicked out of the home or even divorced was oftentimes unlikely to be remarried or to have anyone care for her or even to find work. And so she would become a beggar. And so there's a real controversial thing. And the Pharisees are questioning Jesus about this, trying to get Jesus to contradict one of the Old Testament laws because Moses had said that divorce was a, a, a law that they could take advantage of in some cases. 
why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Moses had set up the divorce laws so that a woman who had been thrown out of her home by her husband would at least have the possibility to be remarried so that she was free, that she could, uh, another man could marry her. And Jesus was saying here that this was man's sinful nature. It wasn't God's plan originally, but God said, okay, because this is happening already, there needs to be a law to free this woman up so that she could be remarried. And he says that only sexual unfaithfulness would justify divorce in God's eyes. He goes on to say, have you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And if that sounds familiar, that oftentimes is spoken in a wedding service. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So it was God's plan that a man and a woman be united in marriage and that two would become one. We talked about last week the importance of that. When that, that oneness is betrayed, that it can be devastating, and so we should make sure that we stay pure in our marriages. And what God would join, really mankind doesn't have the right to tear apart, rip apart. Someone said it was like taking two pieces of paper and gluing them together back to back to become one. And that when that glue dries, you know, it's so tough that if you try to rip them apart, it actually tears both of them. It rips both of them apart. It kind of rips the heart out of you and kind of rips the heart out of your children. And, and if you've been through that process of being torn apart, you understand that. Someone said that you can't unwind what God has made one. You can't unwind what God has made one, and we're not to even try that. So God has joined them together. We're not to separate them. You know, but the whole idea, I think, about marriage is one that we talked about last week, not totally understanding what marriage is. But I want to talk a little bit more about that and go a little deeper because today in our world, people believe that marriage is like a legal agreement, a legal agreement that we can break if we are, get tired of it or we don't like the relationship. But you know, marriage is not really a legal agreement. It's not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And maybe it would help to understand the difference in those two. For example, a contract is something that is based on mutual distrust. Whether you like it or not, if you're going to go into a relationship with a business partner, there is an element of distrust on your part. Like, I want to make sure they do what they say, and, and the other person feels the same way about it. And so you go into a contract. It, it enforces the agreement. It limits my responsibility, and it increases my rights. In that contract, we agree how connected we're going to be, what we can expect the other person to do, how we can force them to do it if they don't, and how do we get out of the relationship. That's basically what a contract is all about. And so if you're in business, you, hopefully you have a contract, because if not, there will probably be some misunderstanding. But a lot of people look at marriage in the same way. They say, we're going to get married, and I'm in as long as you do what I want, and as long as I'm happy, and you're meeting all these conditions that I have, I'm going to be good. But, you know, that's not what a marriage is supposed to be. That is what we might call a contractual marriage, and it's not going to end well for sure. Instead, marriage is to be a covenant and because covenants are not a big part of our world today, we don't talk about them a lot. They're kind of misunderstood. But a covenant is a permanent relationship. 
It is a permanent, you began it, and it has no end. It's indefinite. It is based on love, trust, faith, and commitment, not based on distrust or questioning, will that person do? It assumes because I love them and they love me, we're going we're gonna to commit to this, and we're both going to be faithful in this. In the Old Testament, which is where the idea of covenant came about, uh, the word cutting, the word covenant means cutting. And when two people would make a, an agreement, a covenant like this, they would actually cut a bull, an animal, cut it in half, and then they would lay it aside and they would walk inside the bull around it seven times to create a covenant, an agreement, because it was very binding. And when a couple would get married in the Old Testament, uh, they oftentimes would cut their hands and they would mingle their blood and then their hands would be tied together, bound together to symbolize the joining, the oneness. And everybody's always looking for creative ways to do their wedding. How about you throw that in nowadays? Cut your hand, tie your hands together. You know, you got the mixing the sand, lighting the unity candle. Uh, nobody's going to go that way, I believe. But, but that was a part of it. That was uh, the solemnness, the seriousness of this, of this moment. In a contract, there, there's usually an end uh, date, but with a covenant, it's till death do us part. And in fact, we say that, till death do us part. It's serious no matter what. So I would challenge you, do not marry someone until and unless you are ready to commit for life. And if you don't get there for a long time, just wait. If you never get there, don't marry them. Stay single, stay celibate, you know, honor God in that way. And God, in fact, may call you to do that. But don't profane the covenant of marriage by making a vow, a commitment, a covenant, and then by breaking it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Wow, I mean, that's telling us that marriage is serious stuff. Serious stuff. That's why we say, so help me God. I told you I was not a big fan of self-written vows because they're usually kind of just fluffy, you know. They're old vows, and I know someone wrote those too, but, but they got a lot of meat in there, a lot of commitment, a lot, of, a lot of, uh, of ties to us, and so help me God. And that's also why we began this series by saying we need to seek God first. We need God in the middle of that to understand how serious it, it really, really is. But you know what? It isn't re easy in real life. It's easy to think about. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, we're going to have a wonderful life, live happily ever after, but it isn't easy in real life. And what do you do when you reach that point in life where things are not so great? Maybe you feel like that you're trying and you're not getting anywhere. Well, if that's where you are or if you ever get there, let me remind you of a biblical principle that applies in a lot of cases. It is the principle of sowing and reaping. You know, we're just going through the... Uh, harvest time about now where crops are coming in and people have sown in the spring or early summer and now we're harvesting we know that there is a sowing time and a reaping time and we ought to look at marriage in a similar way in Galatians chapter 6 it kind of explains this process principle do not be deceived God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The principle of sowing and reaping. And marriage is one of those areas in life where sowing and reaping apply and where you will get a good harvest if you do not give up, if you just 
continue to be persistent and persevere through the hard times. Now, there's a couple of principles here uh, in this line about sowing and reaping I want to I share. The first one is that we reap what we sow. That's pretty much what it says, but think about that. If you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. You're not, you're not surprised when that grows because that's what you planted, right? And in the same way about relationships, if you treat your spouse or anyone like you want to be treated, they will most likely respond as well. In fact, we call that the golden rule. Jesus said that, do unto others as you would have others to do unto you. So if you treat someone well, they will probably treat you back, and that's what you should expect, and they should expect as well. If you show love and grace and compassion, and you show kindness and forgiveness to them, most likely they will show it back. But if you, in turn, if you gripe at them and complain and criticize them, and you berate them or neglect them or treat them horribly, more than likely that is what you will get in return. I don't know if you've ever been around a couple that are, are just harsh to each other and rude to each other and always criticizing each other and talking each other down. I don't like to be around those kind of people. They don't bring me up, you know, I don't, and, and I don't think they have much joy in their marriage. We can decide how we're going to treat that person. Whatever you sow and show, it will probably come back to you multiplied, good or bad, good or bad. So, so if you don't like what you're getting in your marriage, look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. And I would say that in every other relationship as well. That's why these principles are not limited to marriage. And if you don't like what you're getting from somebody, look at the way you're treating them because you reap what you sow. Here's the other thing. You reap where you sow. You will reap where you sow. If I plant here, I'm going to be really surprised if I grow a tree over here because you're not going to grow something in a different place than where you planted. Here's the thing. If you put all of your energy and your passion into your hobby, you put all your energy into your job, if you put all of it into your children, uh, more, more than likely women, it's not going to grow your marriage. It's not going to grow. Wherever you invest is where you're going to see success. And maybe that's why things aren't great at home. Maybe it's because you haven't been sowing anything there. You haven't been investing there. You assumed everything was fine. Guys, you told her you loved her one time and assumed she'd remembers, you know, or, or, you know, maybe you're just not trying at all. Your marriage will be as good as you decide for it to be. It will be as good as you decide for it to be. You put very little into it, you probably will get very little out of that. So the word, the key word here is the word decide. Decide. We have to decide. It has to be intentional, not automatic. If you're not sowing or investing in your marriage, you can't expect to reap anything or you can't expect to see improvement. But if you decide to seek God together, you decide when you fight, hey, we're going to fight, but we're going to fight fair, we're going to fight for resolution. If you decide, let's have some fun, let's have some good, uh, some good fun together, enjoy each other. If you say, we're going to stay pure in our, in our marriage, in our lives, in our mind, and if you never give up, you are deciding to sow and invest in your marriage, and you will one day reap the harvest of success. And the key to that is deciding but the other part of that is if both of you can be on the same page. That's the hard part. That's the challenging part. And you know what? You may be here today and you may feel like, you know, I feel like the only one who's trying in this marriage. I feel like I'm the only one that's putting forth any effort. I'm sowing, but I'm not getting any help and no, no response there. And that may be true. Obviously, it is in many cases. But I would encourage you still to keep trying to never give up. Don't unwarn what God has made one. 
Now, it's obviously best if both of you are deciding to make it good, but even if you're the only one trying, it will still be as good as you make it. If you're the one putting effort into it, you're going to be able, maybe the one to carry you for some time. And also, seek contentment where you are in life and your marriage. The Apostle Paul said this, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And that's great advice, no matter where you are and what you're talking about. Learning to be content with where you are. Not that you quit trying to make it better, but instead you quit thinking about giving up and deciding to work to make it, to make it the best it can be. You know, all of us know that if we have an out over here, if we know there's a way out, we're going to try to figure out how to get there and save face if we're miserable right now. So stop thinking about giving up and start thinking about making it the best it can be. Apostle Paul said, we read a few moments ago, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So let me ask you this, what would the harvest look like in your life if you never gave up, if you were consistent? Now, I don't know what it might be. You know, it probably won't be what you hope it was, where one day your spouse wakes up, looks at you, and says, I've been a jerk all my life, and I'm going to be different now. I mean, that would be nice, right? But that probably isn't going to happen. You know, I guess it could. You can pray for that, but, but it maybe it could happen. But maybe your harvest is different. Maybe your harvest is looking back one day and seeing how far you have come and say, I am so glad we stuck it out. I'm so glad we didn't give up. You know, Lori and I, it's kind of our testimony a little bit. We had some hard times, some challenges in our, in our past, in our marriage. And there were times, you know, it was like, I don't know if we're going to make it or not. But today, we can look back and say, we are so glad that we did on this side of it. Man, we, did, we pushed through it. We just never gave up. Or maybe your testimony is, look where we were and look what God did with that. Look what God did. Look how God healed. Look how God brought us through that and has brought us on this side of it. Man, I'm so glad we didn't give up. Or maybe the harvest is some way down the road where your kids look at you or look at their spouse and say, you know what, we're not giving up because mom and dad they had a hard time too. But they never gave up. They never gave up. And so we're not giving up either. Or maybe it's just the blessings that come when you're faithful to keep your covenant made before God. God is a covenant maker. He is a covenant keeper. And God blesses those who keep their covenants. He is faithful through that. And he will give you a harvest if you never give up. Now, we don't give up primarily because of all the positive things that we've talked about so far. But let me also say there are some practical reasons not to give up either. Practical reasons. Shouldn't be our motivation, but it's the reality of it. First of all, there is a good chance that you will not be any happier if you divorce. The Institute for American Values published a report that challenged what is called the divorce assumption. Here's a divorce assumption. Many people assume that a person in a difficult marriage has only two choices, stay married and remain miserable, or get a divorce and become happy. That's what the assumption is. I mean, everybody believes if I just go through this, I'm going to be a lot happier. But researchers found that unhappily married adults who divorced were no happier than unhappily married adults who stayed married. They weren't any happier on the other side of that. Plus, two out of those three unhappily married adults who avoided divorce considered themselves happily married five years later. If they didn't give up and push through, they found out they were happily married later on. The results of the study show that divorce did nothing also to reduce the symptoms of depression. 
You may feel like this problem is all my problem, but it's probably not your whole problem. There's more than that. So you won't be happier, more than likely. Secondly, the kids definitely won't be happier. Divorce will upend the stability of your kid's world. The impact on kids will extend into all directions, at home, relationships with family members, school, how they learn, how they grow, their relationships there, and friendships, activities, holiday schedules, your standard of living, and their future marriage. A lady named Dr. Judith Wallenstein wrote a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce and describes a 25-year study of 131 children of divorce ranging in age from 3 to 18, and the research showed that divorce commonly has a prolonged negative impact on your children all the way into adulthood. All the way into adulthood. The kids will not be happier. Many unhappy spouses think, okay, it'll be better to wait until the kid are grown and the last kid leaves the nest before divorcing. And so in the last two decades, the rate of what they call gray divorces has increased people over 50. But along with this trend, there's also been a growing number of books and articles that are written profound, uh, noting a profoundly negative impact on adults when their parents split. So it's not going to make your kids any better, not going to be any easier on them when they're adults. I've talked to children who were adults when their parents divorced, and it's very traumatic for them as well. So the kids are not going to be happy. And then thirdly, a practical aspect of that is that your standard of living will decrease after a divorce. Your standard of living will decrease after a divorce. Divorce is expensive. The only people who make money get wealthy on divorce are the lawyers who will charge you every time you call them, and especially uh, if child custody is an issue. In most states, the division of assets is 50-50 and always results in a more modest financial resources for both couples, for everyone involved. Most cases, women are generally make a harder, experience a harder financial hit because of that, because they usually make less than men. And working through the financial details of a divorce, not only dividing assets, but also managing insurance, taxes, loans, and future ongoing expenses can be a daunting process. It is a difficult thing to go through. Anyone would tell you that. And the bottom line is that divorce rarely makes things better and it's breaking a covenant that you have made before God. And that alone is going to be difficult to overcome. A lot of people struggle with just that mentally, just working through that process. So all of those things, I would challenge you to never, ever give up. If things are seemingly unbearable, seek help. Do not find, try to find the, the back door, the way to get out, the excuse, maybe even the reason to do that. Commit to never get up, give up. But decide to make your marriage the very best that it can be and invite your spouse to discuss the, the issues that you have. You can even start by saying, you know, I, I'll probably do some things that bother you. What are those things? And then maybe they'll open up the door to ask you the same question and, and you can talk about it. And then invite them to work on the issues with you. And here's some other good advice. Stop demanding what your spouse will not give. Either can't give or will not give. Stop demanding that. You know, sometimes we, we, everything hinges on one simple thing. Stop demanding that. Stay faithful to them, but figure out ways that you can have your needs met. And I'm talking about same-sex relationships and friendships, not counseling or pouring out your troubles to someone of the opposite sex. That just that's, is not a good direction to go. But find ways you can do that in other friendships and investing in your children and your grandchildren 
uh, engaging in ministry, volunteering, you know, a lot of different ways that you can find ways to in, put your energy and your passion and your interest and have your needs met and find contentment while still honoring your covenant, your marriage covenant. That's so important. God will bless those. And the reason is that God blesses those who keep their vows. Psalms chapter 15, verse 4, describes a righteous person as one who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. That's a righteous person who keeps an oath even when it hurts. You're not double-minded. You, you stick with what you say. And I say that's important because today in our age, most of us will only make two vows or two covenants in our life. Many of us, most of us probably will make a vow, a covenant of marriage. We commit to our spouse and give our lives to that person until death do us part is the goal. And but the, also, uh, the other covenant is to give our lives to Christ. And that is by far the much, much greater, much important covenant. And I would say that if you are thinking of marrying someone who is not a believer and has no interest in your relationship with God, I would put the brakes on that really quick. If, if there's just not any, any interest at all, it's just going to make it more difficult. You're not going to be... You're not going to be equally yoked in your marriage together. You've got to be together on this. God wants you to be in your marriage together and with him. And he wants your spouse, and with his help, to commit to a lifetime covenant marriage. And you can do that with his help. When God steps into our marriages, we can do impossible things. We can forgive the unforgivable. We can forget the unforgettable. You know, we can, we can move ahead and Put those things behind us and go from this day forward. And that's why I love this title, is that it kind of takes us where God takes us, in our present, in our moment. It doesn't beat us up in the past, but it helps us to be forgiven, forgive, and move ahead. That would be a challenge for you, because all of us have things in our past that need to be let go, in our married life, in our personal life, and living from this day forward. But the key word I said a few moments ago is the word decide to decide what our future will look like. Your marriage will be as happy as you decide or as good as you decide it will be and you invest and so into your marriage. And while I'm talking about deciding, let me just throw this in, that our greatest decision is to, is to follow Jesus and to give our lives to him. And if you're here today and you've never done that, then, then I would love to have a conversation with you about that big question, that big decision in your life. In fact, we have uh, two weeks from the day, we're calling this, uh, it's November 1st, the first week of November, we're calling it Decision Day. Not really about politics, it's not about the donkey and the elephant, it's, it's about the lamb. And we're challenging you to think about the greatest decision of all, not who you vote for, but who you give your life to. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is a great day. We sometimes, sometimes we just need a target date to say this is the day. And we, we want to do that a couple times a year. And so Sunday, November 1st is that day. If you need to give your life to Christ, we're going to encourage you to come and make that decision. If you've never been baptized, uh, we're going to take that day and say this is a, a target day. We do baptism anytime, all the time. But we want this to be a day that you say, that's my day, if you need that kind of challenge in your life. And to make sure that you're right with him, a decision day. So uh, we encourage you to do that. And, and then make the decision and never look back.